Data on the number of working health professionals with Alzheimer's disease are unavailable, but estimates suggest that several thousand older physicians in the United States may be affected. Although Alzheimer's is often regarded as a monolithic disease marked by an inevitable decline, in reality, many physicians are able to continue practicing with additional monitoring and support for years after being diagnosed. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Gaitri Devi, Director of Park Avenue Neurology and a Clinical Professor of Neurology at SUNY Downstate Medical Center. Dr. Devi has written a perspective article about managing an Alzheimer's disease diagnosis in physicians. Dr. Devi, you write in your article that misconceptions about the homogeneity and severity of Alzheimer's disease unduly stigmatize patients. So why has there been a lack of awareness about the various forms that Alzheimer's can take, even within the medical community? I think we're learning more about the term Alzheimer's and the different pathological and clinical phenotypes that are subsumed under that term, and more in the last six to seven years, really. There's a group out in the Netherlands headed by Philip Shelton that described eight forms of cognitive profiles in patients with the diagnosis of Alzheimer's associated with different demographic characteristics. There is data now to suggest that based on pathological deposit location of plaques and tangles, patients' uh, clinical phenotypes vary significantly and the progression of the illness can also vary over time so that some patients may decline very quickly and others have a far more benign course over time. I think we're just learning more about the different subtypes that fall under the umbrella of Alzheimer's disease, and there's a lot more yet to come in terms of figuring this out. You say in your article that determining the diagnosis and the prognosis is particularly difficult with high-functioning professionals. So can you walk us through how you go about assessing your physician patients for Alzheimer's disease or any type of dementia? Basically, I put a lot of weight into the patient's complaints. So if a professional, a high-functioning person comes in with complaints of cognitive problems, even if they're continuing to function very well, if they've noticed a change in their ability to function, then that is very important to me. And while screening tools like the Mini Mental Status Exam and the Montreal Cognitive Assessment are helpful in perhaps community-based populations, I find them to not be very sensitive in picking up cognitive issues in patients who are high-functioning professionals. So we invariably have patients undergo an extended neurocognitive assessment, which lasts several hours and allows us to define their cognitive profile in a clear way and determine if, in fact, that there is a deviation from their prior level of functioning and whether this is of concern if the phenotype fits a phenotype of anywhere on the Alzheimer's spectrum, whether they have mild cognitive impairment, whether this is more consistent with aging, normal aging, or whether they are, in fact, in the early stages of Alzheimer's. And here again, it's important to understand the heterogeneity of the disease because the pathology in Alzheimer's is much more probabilistic rather than deterministic. And what I mean by that is that the same pathology can give rise to multiple different clinical phenotypes and the same clinical phenotype can be the result of multiple different pathological presentations. Therefore, how the patient presents, what their cognitive strengths and weaknesses are prior to developing symptoms matters greatly. And that's why each person who presents with cognitive problems, I treat almost as if they have their own private case 
of Alzheimer's because there's so much variability from person to person. You say that many people with memory loss put off being evaluated, particularly early in the illness. So does that affect the types of interventions that can be undertaken? Absolutely. I think people fear getting an evaluation for cognitive loss or memory loss simply because they're afraid they're going to get a diagnosis of Alzheimer's because the perception is a very strong one of a stereotype of someone who is going to be cognitively incompetent with a rapid progression to possible institutionalization. There is also the perception that treatment doesn't really make a difference. Then most people don't want to find out. They don't want to know. So I do believe, though, that the earlier we make a diagnosis of cognitive impairment, the easier it is to be able to intervene in a way that can promote longer functionality in the patient. And this is where it's very important to go into shared decision-making with the patient. So I will often sit down with a highly functional professional and say, well, look, we can go further and look for biomarkers, which the National Institute of Aging introduced in 2011 as an additional arm to improve sensitivity and specificity for making diagnosis of Alzheimer's. And if we do that, then that kind of adds certainty to the diagnosis. Is that something you want? my experience, patients often do want to know for planning purposes, for helping decide how aggressive they want to be with available treatments. And there are several different available treatments. In addition to modifying lifestyle factors, which do have an effect, you can also treat comorbid conditions like high blood pressure and diabetes and high cholesterol, and that has an impact on cognitive functioning and long-term functioning. You can also address the cognitive loss itself with currently available medications. I personally happen to be a believer in that, that the brain continues to have a certain level of neuroplasticity despite a diagnosis of Alzheimer's, and that neuromodulatory techniques may have benefit, although we don't have enough data on that yet. Do physicians who are diagnosed with cognitive impairment have any obligation to share that information? What's the legal and ethical responsibility? That's the dilemma, which is you are a physician, you're working, you may have noticed some issues with your ability to function. Perhaps it's not obvious to other people in the office or in the hospital. If you do have a diagnosis, then what? What's the next step? And I believe that at this point, given the very widespread stigmatization of Alzheimer's, and the perception that it basically is being equated with cognitive incompetence, at least from the public's perspective and possibly by some of us within the medical community, it may be worthwhile to not share the diagnosis and to kind of have your cognitive situation monitored so that when there is an impairment of functioning that is felt to possibly affect patient care, then at that point you stop taking care of patients. This is where I think the physician health programs that almost every state has can play a valuable role. In New York State, for example, the physician's health program is a great ally in allowing patients who are physicians to continue to function, but also to function safely so that patients' interests are safeguarded. And they make the decision, I can make a recommendation, and they will then decide whether they need another opinion, perhaps, from another physician on the recommendation. 
whether they are going to go along with the recommendation and how much and how closely should the individual physician be monitored. And they do all this in a confidential fashion. And I think that helps reassure the patient, physician patient in this case, that they're doing all that they're doing for taking care of themselves, but also not doing anything that could potentially be harmful for the patient. The AMA suggests that after 70 years of age, physicians undergo periodic cognitive evaluations. At how many institutions is that actually happening? And what's the reaction among physicians? The AMA's task force suggests that physicians be tested at age 70, and I think that's a good idea, although I can't imagine they're not being pushed back. It's been implemented in a few places already, individually by certain hospital systems, and in those systems, the the reaction has been overall positive. I personally believe that an even earlier cognitive baseline, say at age 60, might be helpful because it's really about change of an individual's cognition over time rather than the absolute values that are important in terms of determining the diagnosis. So if you have someone performing at the 25th percentile when they are 60 and they're performing at the 25th percentile in terms of many of the cognitive scores at 70, then that matters less and is less ominous than someone who scored at, say, the 99th percentile when they're in 60 and now are scoring at the 25th percentile. So it's change over time, and I believe that earlier baselines also help take away the anxiety that many of us might feel about taking a cognitive evaluation, and I believe it'll be beneficial in terms of optimizing patient care, but also provide avenues for early intervention if necessary. Finally, what steps should physicians take if they're concerned about cognitive decline, either in themselves or in a colleague? I think that it's important for physicians to seek help, and this is, again, where the stereotype of Alzheimer's as a monolithic disease comes into play, and once physicians understand that it's a disease with heterogeneity and variability from person to person, then it may be easier for them to seek help. The other issue is when do you report a colleague who you may be concerned is perhaps impacting on patient care. And again, I think a physician's health program, which is nonpartisan, as it were, where it's not pro-hospital or pro-institution or pro-physician or pro-patient, but really involved in safeguarding every aspect of medical care, may be useful so that the physician could perhaps then report to an organization like that if they feel uncomfortable discussing it with the physician in question. Thank you, Dr. Devi.